October 2nd, 2023. We're in Masechet Amud Bet. If you count from the top of the Amud down, it's nine lines down. The first word on the line, if you recall, there was this statement which the Gemara made, and uh, it was from Rameh Bar Abba, in which he envisioned, he saw different things in this world as, uh, so to speak, being the marker that would get you in the end of days. If you're this type of person and you, as a result, aren't able to appreciate and to act in the appropriate way, HaKadosh Baruch Hu or the Beitin Shema'ala will point to something and say, how come you couldn't learn from this? How come you couldn't be like that? And the last on that list was Tor Musa. Tor Musa, Rashi explained this, a min kotnit, it's a type of bean or legume, uh, which uh, seven times over it needs to be cooked because it's bitter the first seven times, and only after the last cooking is it then sweetened. Is it then something that you would even, as the Gemara will make clear, uh, serve at, uh, at dessert to, to taste that good? As a result, as says Rame Baraba Tor Musa, mekatea raglehon de san ehon. Shel Yisrael, and again, son ehen shel Yisrael is a euphemism. It's a, it's a reference to actually Am Yisrael, but it's us when we're not doing the right thing. Instead of saying uh, to Am Yisrael, this will be the marker for when we do wrong, we speak cleanly, the Gemara does, and it refers to it as the haters of Yisrael. You have similar things, the Gemara Masech Megillah, for example, says, why is it that son ehen shel Yisrael, the haters of Yisrael, nithayevu keliyah, were supposed to be uh, destroyed during the days of Haman and uh, Mordechai and Esther. And the Gemara, so you're imagining it's a reference to Haman. The Gemara says because they got benefit from the meal of Ahasuerus. It's a reference to us. So it's a euphemism. The rabbis want to speak cleanly and not negatively about Am Yisrael. So even when they're speaking negatively, they speak about it as, as if it's someone else. Anyway, so the question in turn is, why is it or how is it that Tormusin is going to be the prosecutor of us? when we've gone wrong, after, uh, after life, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to point to this bean and say, well, you couldn't be like this, you couldn't learn the lesson from this. How so? Well, explains the Gemara, there's a pasuk, Shene'emar, from Sefer Shofetim, which describes how seven times Am Yisrael worshipped Avodah Zarah, and in turn the message will be clear. Seven times of worship was not positive, would never be positive and going astray from your connection to God. But how come you didn't fix yourself after those? Uh, this being after seven times, at least it then finds a certain sweetness. You went seven times Avodah Zarah, at the very least, when you're done with that, the seven falls, you couldn't turn to me, there's no excuses in making mistakes in life and having pitfalls and difficulties. The excuse is, uh, well, in the midst of it, in the throes of it, I had a hard time. Okay, how come you couldn't pull yourself out of it after seven times? Shene Imar, by Yosifu b'nei Yisrael la'asot hara be'inei Adonai va'yavdu, number one, et ha'be'alim ve'et ha'ashtarot, number two, ve'et Elohe Aram, ve'et Elohe Sidon, ve'et Elohe Moab, ve'et Elohe b'nei Ammon, ve'et Elohe Plishtim, va'yazu et Adonai ve'lo'avaduhu. So the Pasuk says uh, very clearly, seven Avodah Zarah, seven worships negatively of Avodah Zarah, but they never made their way back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Kivyachol, after death, they, and in turn anyone else over the course of time, who had wrongful worships in their life, who went after the wrong things, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kivyachol will say you couldn't learn the lesson, you couldn't be like that Tormosin. Uh, furthermore, Mimashma Sheneimar, one last dirasha on this Pasuk, uh, from the fact that the Pasuk says, Vayazvu et Adonai, they abandoned, they went astray from God. Don't I know that they didn't worship him? In other words, the concluding words of the Pasuk seem redundant. 
Why is it the Pasuk says they abandoned God and they didn't worship Him? Well, abandoning God means they didn't worship Him. Uh, the Pasuk here in Sefer Shofitim seems to be repeating unnecessarily. They left God and they didn't worship Him. That's what it meant, they left God. Why is it that the Pasuk seemingly unnecessarily repeats? They left Him and they didn't worship Him. Amar Azar, Amar HaKadosh my children didn't make me even like this bean, like this tormus. This interpretation is, uh, is flipping, whereas the first interpretation, as we read it from Rameh Bar Abba, who was the tormos? Who was the bean that we should liken ourselves to? It's Am Yisrael. The bean is cooked seven times over. Finally, the seventh time, it tastes good. You weren't able to pull that off. This time, it's God speaking about himself. This is how Maharsha explains it, as if he's the bean. So he turns to him and he says, you burnt me, you scorched me, you roasted me seven times over. You couldn't, at the end of the day, at least then turn me into something that you love? Oh, it's just the same message. It's too Mishalim. Well, the Pasuk says in Mishleh, as a reference to an understanding that human beings have a hard time. The number seven is a significant number, but more than anything, it's a lot of times. What's that? Well, Avadazara is one of the Shaloshit uh, Hamurot, certainly. Can you imagine? If even this, so to speak, there's a certain patience. So, Kol Shiken on other things, but the reality is we fall, we stumble in life more than once in the difficult circumstances and zones. The question is how and if you pull yourself out of it. Do you turn it into a Teshubah Me'ahava circumstance where going from that, the worship, the lust of the Avodah Zarah, whatever it is in your life that's a challenge, can you then challenge, can you then channel that same lust, that same desire, that same excitement that you had for whatever it is in your life that's negative? That's the seven times we have. Uh, I was told in yeshiva more than once that Rav Shach used to say, Zichronolivrach, I was the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva, uh, Panovich Yeshiva in Benebrak. He used to tell students when they were in the throes of difficulty, he used to say he didn't know anyone in his life aside from one Hafez Hayim who had a clearly uh, up, up direction uh, growth. Nobody had growth in such a fashion. He used to move his hand. He said, only the Hafez Hayim said, everyone by definition, it's like a, a graph of some sort. It's a graph in which things go up and things go down. That's the definition of growth. You have to then pull yourself up higher than you were earlier, but you can't imagine, you can't delude yourself that it's going to be a clear trajectory upward in that respect. Okay, says the Gemara Anwar, Tanami Shemeh We're not yet done with the Agadah, with the understanding of uh, the Hachamim's vision of Am Yisrael and doing wrong and how we can fix ourselves appropriately. Tanah Derbi Meir, there's a statement in the name of Rabbi Meir that was taught, why was the Torah given to Am Yisrael? What type of question is that? Well, the Midrash does say, it's Pesukim in this coming week's parasha, it appears as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu approached other nations to give them the Torah. So this is a funny question. It's not Nitna. According to our tradition, it wasn't just given to us, it was given to the other Umot, they just rejected it. However, the Gemara in Shabbat and the Pechet has, Kafa Alemahar Kigigit, God Kivyachol coerced us into receiving the Torah. So the question might in turn be, why were we, so to speak, forced to take it as opposed to the others? In other words, yeah, maybe, according to the Midrash, all were approached. 
Why was it that we were forced into taking? What is it about us as a people? Now you might be getting warm and, and cozy inside for a moment and saying, well, there's going to be something positive about who we are as a people. Quite the opposite, the Gemara is potentially going to be suggesting. We needed the Torah. Maybe they don't. How so? Because we have a certain impudence. We have a certain arrogance or fierceness and a positive or negative respect, which means to say, before we continue onward, the statement is that Torah is supposed to diminish that natural inclination of ours to be arrogant and impudent. Uh, Rashi, for example, uh, suggests on the side, says, Rashi, shehen azin, v'nitena lahem Torah, the Torah was given to us, shi'askuba, so that we immerse ourselves in it, v'himateshet koham, and in turn, it diminishes our strength which can be used negatively, umachna'at libam, and it gives us a certain humility of heart and mind. He really seems referring to the Gemara in Sanhedrin and Dafkavav, which is Doresh Pasuk from Sefer Yeshaya, where the Torah seems to be called Tushiya. Tushiya, the Lashon of the Gemara, is Mateshet, it weakens kohoshel adam, our strength, our energy. Now that's the description, a little bit of a deflating statement. The Torah is given to us because we need it, because otherwise we're all flawed. Alternatively, and in tandem with that negative side, Maharsha points out there's a positive to being az as well. A certain arrogance and impudence could be helpful. Lo habayshan lamed, says the Mishnah and Masechet Avot, if you're too bashful, if you're too, um, if you have too much humility, you won't be able to truly grow as a scholar. You won't truly grow as a business person either, I believe. You need a certain self-confidence above and beyond. I could be wrong in the business world, I'll tell you, in the Torah world. Above and beyond, just I'm a nothing. If you're just I'm a nothing, and I don't deserve this, and I can't go for this, you won't take risks. You won't have the ability to go beyond, to breach the boundaries of what was given to you. The azut then of Torah is both a positive and a negative. In the context of study, you're the best people to study this. You're the ones who are going to be pushing the boundaries of understanding my words. You're the ones who are going to deep, uh, dive deeply and have a certain depth of understanding, which only someone with a certain azut, if channeled appropriately, can do so. At the same time, your general character, Am Yisrael, it says Maharsha, we need to work on that. It's great when you're studying Torah that you have a lot of uh, strength and energy to fight. Fantastic, go for that. When you're out in the marketplace, when you're talking to other people and you're approaching other nations and other families and people, over there we need a little baishanut, uh, a little bit of humility. The Torah will give you that as well because the study, the engagement with it will be mateshit. Last point in my mind to be made on this Gemara is that the Gemara in Masechet Yevamot, I cited it to Jeffrey last week, says there are three character traits that are part of the Jewish nation. Rahmanim, gomle hasadim, we're merciful, we do good for others, and we're baishanim, and we have a, we have a natural, innate, embarrassed, bashful, shameful side. Well, it seems to be counter to what we're reading in our Gemara right now. The Gemara says we are naturally azim, we're naturally fierce and impudent and arrogant. I thought the Gemara says we're naturally, you know, those good people, the people who sling our, sling our heads down and curl our shoulders older and don't, well, over and don't walk with a certain arrogance. The suggestion of Maharsha in Masechet Yevamot is in order to resolve these two, that's right, 
Naturally, we as Am Yisrael, we have an impudence and arrogance and so forth. Torah, when done properly, Torah, when we live a life of it, that makes us into the Baishanim, Gomle Hasadim, and Rahmanim. So the Gemara Masechit Yivamot is after this one. You begin with this one. Why do you need it? Well, first and foremost, you'll study it best because of this character trait. You're fierce, you have that strength, you're able to turn red in the face and challenge. Great, fantastic. But how does that affect you in general life? Hopefully Torah will humble you, it'll ground you. Once you became that, well look at Am Yisrael, the Baishanim, the Rahmanim, the Gumle Hasadim. Very appropriate, that's what we're going to, go, going to be reading this Pasuk from Parashat Vizota Berachah, this, this uh, Simchat Torah in just a few days. So the Pasuk says, Mimino, from his right hand, Kivyachol HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Esh Dat, and uh, it's written as one word, we read it as two words, fire law, something of that sort, Lamo, uh, to them. What's that referring to? Says the Gemara, Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ri'uyin Halalu, Shetinahten Lahem, Dat Esh. Kivyachol HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, These people, you want to know what type of law book they need? You want to know what type of instructions they need? They need instructions of fire. Because nothing else will give them that humility. Nothing else will give them the mateshet koham. They have so much fierceness, so much arrogance, so much impudence. Am Yisrael, the only way we can subdue that, the only way we can deal with them is with a fire law, with the Torah. Otherwise, we won't be able to be mateshet koham. Rashi, on the left-hand side, datehem shel elu, means the references to our way. That, esh dat, according to this interpretation, is not about the Torah, it's about our laws, minhagam shel elu. Esh, shem azim ka'esh. We have a fierceness and an arrogance and impudence like fire. As a result, the only way you're going to counter that is with an ish dat, with the Torah. There's, in my mind, there's another hint, another symbol here with regards to fire being the reference on the positive end. Remember from Maharsha, a moment ago we said there's a positive in the impudence, in being an az panim. You can be azut, you can have that personality. It'll work negatively for you in general life, positively in scholarship, in understanding Torah. I wonder if over here as well, there's a double-edged sword, there's two sides to this. On the one hand, we need the fire of Torah in order to subdue us, in order to give us a certain humility. On the other hand, Torah, likened to fire, is very much about who a person who has arrogance, uh, how they portray that and how they manifest that. Fire, in the eyes of the Torah, in the eyes of humanity, really, fire is the greatest instrument for creation. If you read any, uh, any books of anthro, uh, uh, from anthropologists, uh, they talk about the discovery of fire being the greatest moment in human development because at that point we were able to craft things. At that point we were able to purify metals. We were able to cook. We were able to do so many things. Fire is, as human beings, the greatest capacity instrument that we have in order to become creators as well. For that reason, the Gemara and Masechet Pesachim, I've always wondered, uh, perhaps suggests that Adam Harishon is he who discovered fire on his own. The Hachamim are saying, you as a human being, on Motzei Shabbat, you do Berkat Meoreh Meoreh Ha'esh, because then you discovered it. No, I, I'm not holding on to this, Kivyachol HaKadosh Baruch Hu says. I'm not holding on to the fire. You should be creators as well. It's in contrast to the Greek mythology. Prometheus was seen as the being who stole the fire from the gods. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, 
fire is, is given to you. The pasuk at the beginning of Parashat Vayakel says, Lo esh hashabbat. What's the greatest example on Shabbat of no creative capacity? Don't build, don't do, no fire. Because fire is the way in which we manifest ourselves. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the creator par excellence. He's described as fire throughout the Torah. He's Eshochila. He brings himself to us with fire. Well, that being the case, that's the description here in the Torah. You as a people, you have, oh, you have that self-centered side you think you could create? Truth is, I gave you a creative capacity. Let me give you Torah, let me give you the body of Ish, and let's see what you can do with it. It's the best way for people who are creative. You take someone who's creative and you push them into a factory, into a warehouse, uh, just to stock the merchandise. Oh, come on, I'm a creative person, I need the fire. The Ish, the Azut of Am Yisrael needs a Torah which gives, I'm putting you in the room to come up with our new projects. I'm putting you in the, uh, the, the conversation, the meetings, so that you have the vision 10, 15, 20 years down the line, understand our merchandise, realize what our business uh, uh, development can and should look like. That's the Eshtat of Torah, because Esh represents that creative capacity of human beings. Isn't there a whole other side of that? You realize that the water is like the water, it's 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 like the it only fits in the following fashion. I sat with someone once, oh, this is my cynical side, it's a hand tight. I sat with someone once and there was, I was with someone else who wanted to raise money for an institution. So the person offered whatever amount of money. So the, the counter offer was, no, maybe you should give, I don't know, 52,000, 5,200, whatever the number was. So they turned to me and said, Rabbi, could you explain the significance of the number 52? I said, sure, let me tell you. And I went into gematria mode and I told the president, etc. And the person said, I'm going to think about this. And they said, you know something? Maybe we'll do another number. Rabbi, could you give us the gematria? So the person who's listening to it said, sounds like every single number that you throw, the rabbi is going to have an explanation for why, why it's a beautiful number. In short, I'm saying, with a cynical wink in my eye. The hachamim, but it's not really cynical. The hachamim can see positive in Torah in many fashions, in many ways. So it's like water in certain respects and it's like fire in other respects. I, I, listen, I, I can only speak um, autobiographically. I can tell you Torah for me is sometimes a calming feature. I'll read it and it'll give me a calmer mind. Sometimes it has my mind triggered and firing away. I think both are realities at different states of time and different segments of the Torah, and both can have different effects on our soul in different ways. It depends which parts of it, it depends in which capacity, in which context. And I, I believe that that's something along those lines. Anyway, says the Gemara, Ikad Amre, a different interpretation along the same lines, but different with regards to that Pasuk. Again, Mi Mino, Eshtat, from his right arm, his right hand, Eshtat, Natan, Eshtat Lamo, Ikad Amre. The Eshdat is not a reference to the Torah. It's the ways of Am Yisrael. We're so destructive, we're so strong, we're so strong-minded. We didn't have the Torah. We wouldn't be able to be subdued. We'd be destroying everyone. Fascinatingly then, Torah takes away some of our natural strength. We'd just be destructive in a negative sense, though. We'd just be knocking out every nation because we'd be going against nations that were stronger and greater than us. But we would say, yeah, we have the strength to beat them. Torah gives a certain humility appropriately. This accords with the statement of Resh Lakish. If you look at the natural world, you'll find 
three paradigms, three great examples for arrogance, for impudence, for uh, fierceness. Uh, who are they? Yisrael Ba'umot. If you look at nations, I mean, listen, we know this. Uh, Yisrael are the overachievers for time immemorial, the Nobel Prize winners when we're the minority, the people who rise in governments, and uh, it provokes the ire and hatred of many nations because who are they? Uh, they bes- uh, there needs to be a certain arrogance, needs to be a certain appropriate impudence in order to rise in that respect. Kelev Bahayot, if you look at the uh, wild animals, it's the uh, dog. That's interesting. On every, Shab- every day, some, every Shabbat, others, we say Yehuda ben Tema Omer, Heve Az Kanamer. It seems as if the leopard is the Az uh, paradigm of fierceness or impudent in the animal kingdom. Okay, uh, Ben Ishchai discusses that over here in the Gemara, but according to Resh Lakish, Bishimon Ben Lakish, it's the Kelev, it's the dog. I don't know much about dogs, but I've noticed this. They seem to be a little impudent. They'll go after you even when you're not provoking them. And lastly, Tarnigol Ba'ofot, I've noticed this one as well. Roosters amidst the, uh, the birds seem to be the most. They'll come right at you and uh, peck at you and they'll do things uh, beyond what other birds. Another bird, you come even closer to it, it flies away. A rooster will come closer. What's that? An eagle. An eagle. Eagles haven't, but they haven't come close to me. I'm just saying, in other words, I think they have strength. I think there's a difference between, like Am Yisrael per se are not strong, but we have, you are, but uh, many of us are not strong, but we have impudence, we have arrogance. So I think it's more than that. It's more that they'll just go at it. They don't have any fear. It's the suggestion of the Gemara. Do we know this from the Torah? What? Do you see Azut in Am Yisrael prior to Yitzhak from Mitzrayim? Am Kshe'orif is after the reception of the Torah, but it's true, you do have it. After we receive the Torah, we immediately revert to Heta Egel. The words of God are, I can't stand them because they are in Am Kshe'orif. So he seems to be saying that's who they are as a people. That's the reference. Oh, good point. I should, in that context, mention very briefly. I should mention, maybe yes, maybe no. He's an Ishtam, but ultimately speaking, uh, for a person to get involved with his father and his brother like that, you need a certain positive azuk. That's right. Uh, Rabbi Sachs, I once read an essay that someone showed me. I, I made a similar derasha. Shekivanti al Devarav, that he points out that Moshe Rabbeinu, in defending Am Yisrael, after Heta Egel says, listen, he appeals to Zechut Avot, Avraham, Hakim Yaakov, and he says, and Ki Am Orefu, and he says, because they're a stiff necked people. One second, that's not the defense. That's exactly what God said was the problem with them. God says, I'm going to destroy, destroy them because they're stiff necked. You should come to me and say, Moshe, I'm speaking. You should say to me, they might do better. He comes back and his appeal seems to be key. I'm If we read on the fastest, what type of defense is that? So either some Ramban and Nahmani and others suggest, if I'm not mistaken, it means even though they're Am Keshe'orif, we can overcome this. Alternatively, maybe Am Keshe'orif, if channeled appropriately, is the right thing. If it's in the context of Torah, if it's in the context of Avodah, if it's in the context of a productive life in Am Keshe'orif. But that's the answer, Jeffrey. It has to be that God's words over then, over that, at that point are, they're Am Keshe'orif. It might be Haita Egel demonstrates it, but it's the type of people they are. The, 
So az panim legehenom, which we which is Yehuda ben Tema, is the is the negative az panim. If you're az panim, you have an arrogance in which your life is without Torah lived in. I'm just putting everyone down. I'm sticking my head into business that's not my own. That's not going to be positive at all. Like everything else, right? Do we not mention this all the time? That the yeser hara, that by definition, yeser is a word that the Torah uses to craft, right? In other words, yesira, biriah means bringing something forth. Yesira means crafting. It means chiseling the uh, the statue, uh, putting together the the building. I brought the raw material, and then I'm yosir. So yeser by definition is something that could be turned in one way or turned in another. I could give you a pile of bricks and you can leave it as a pile of bricks or you could turn it into a beautiful building. That's yesirah. So yeser hara, yeser hatov effectively is the same force. It's a question which way you're channeling it, right? So like anything else, like we have lust, we have desire, it's what I mentioned earlier, we have anger, we have, we have so many character traits which if used properly are very, very positive. Alternatively, when used in the general negative sense, that's the yeser hara, we've crafted it negatively. Concludes the Gemara, and some say, if I'm not mistaken, I once looked this up, I think it's caper. It's a caper tree. Amidst the trees, it's the most fierce an arrogant and impudent one. What does that mean? Why that tree as opposed to others? I'm not certain, but Tosafot helps us with this. Tosafot first quotes from Rashi. Rashi on the page says, I don't know. I love when Rashi says that. I'm sorry to say it. Rashi says, I don't know what makes this more impudent than other trees. Fantastic. That's Rashi's uh, take on it. He's uncertain. Tosafot on the top, uh, the, the second Dibura uh, Matchil on the right hand side. First, they quote from Rashi. Piresh Rashi, I don't know what its fierceness, its impudence is. This tree, the caper tree. Maybe it should be Batosafot. Mishum perot alin vekafrisin. It's a unique type of growth because it brings forth three different types of fruits uh, that are somewhat edible from it. That's its azut. It doesn't just suffice with uh, apples or oranges or even two fruits. Three fruits, three edible products from this tree. That's very sick. V'od, alternatively or in addition, shetoin perot bechol yom. Apparently a caper tree will every day reproduce and bring forth new fruits. That's different than other trees. It takes them more time. And the third interpretation of Tosafot, maybe building off of the other two, maybe in contrast to them, either way. He says the third interpretation is one of those fruits which comes from the caper tree is called kafrisin. If you take kafrisin and you turn it into a wine, that wine is a very sharp wine. You would then dip things into it in order to give them a sharpness of taste or smell as you had in, pitu, in the ketoret, right? We have... What's that? I hear you. That's an interesting point. It's an, Eli points out... For everything that we've said about the positive and negative in, in, in the Azud character trait, this one, Tosafot's interpretations are certainly all positive. Listen, Yisrael, I turned into positive as well, uh, but the Caleb, I'm not so certain. I don't, you have to check caper trees. Uh, uh, Mars Benin is going to handle the uh, caper research. 
No, we did it specifically in order to give a certain sharpness, not a negative sharpness, as Tosafot continues to say, but an appropriate sharpness. Sometimes you need in the smell. And that's what it says. That's why I carefully, firstly, it says fruits. Those are the words. Tosafot says, so I think what it means is they're all edible. That's why, that's why I said that. I think it's leaves, fruits, and peels because they're all edible on this tree as opposed to others. Otherwise, every tree has leaves and fruits and things like that. I think that's the point. No, that's what I'm saying. I, I, oh no, okay, so let me, let me be clear again. Tosafot says that, that, that it, gr- the growth from this caper tree is threefold, all of which are edible. One of them is the standard fruit, the other one is a, a leaf of some sort, and the other one is a peel in some respect, but they're all edible on this tree as opposed to on other trees. All right, continues the Gemara over here. Shehata basade lo bamot. Now we're not going to fully develop this Gemara today, but you should be aware, as we begin it, this Gemara is cited in perhaps, at least for our community, the most famous Teshubah of Ben Pe'alim. This Gemara is the Gemara with the interpretation of Tzlach that he appeals to when he discusses bicycles on Shabbat. So we'll have to see where that comes from. We'll have to see the discussion amongst the Poskim, the Mefashim, to the Gemara to appropriately understand that Teshubah. But that's a long-term, in the next few days, vision on this. If you recall, the Mishnah talked about something that's called zilzul on Shabbat, or on Yom Tov more specifically. Even though you're allowed to slaughter on Shabbat the meat that you're going to eat, if you did it out in the field, don't then carry it on poles, either one or two, in order to bring to your home. It looks wrong. You can take it instead, evarim, evarim, put it into bags. It's going to take longer, but it's not going to be a zilzul, it's not going to be an inappropriate... Uh, vision and sight on Yom Tov. What's that? Exhibition on Yom Tov. Says the Gemara, let's quote a Beraita which gives a few other zilzulim that the rabbis objectively stated. This is inappropriate for Yom Tov, inappropriate for Shabbat. And that's significant because it's hard for us, me and you, to decide this is not for Shabbat, that is for Shabbat, that's for Yom Tov. Hachamim at least gave us a list of them. Tanur Rabbanan en hasuma yoseh maklo. Uh, this one's a little bit surprising. The first one is a suma, a blind person, should not go out with his makil, with his cane. Uh, interesting. First, first Tosaf, Rashi. Rashi en hasuma, one sec. Rashi en hasuma yoseh b'maklo, dehavet derech hol. That's a weekday uh, approach. V'ikaz ziluta di yom tov, and as a result, it's inappropriate for yom tov. Now, first and foremost, is this referring to, it might be, going into the Shuta Rabim from the Shuta Yahid. In other words, is this just by virtue of carrying it? Now, remember, the Mishnah told us in Daf Yod Bet, or Posek like Bet Hilel, there's no carrying issue on Yom Tov. What's that? So there's no carrying issue on Yom Tov, we know from Daf Yod Bet. In this circumstances, it's specifically because you're carrying in what on Shabbat would be forbidden. Yom Tov, it's permitted. Ah, not if you do it like this. Or is it even if he's in his courtyard, even if you have an Eruv? That's not clear from the Gemara. That's why I told you, you need those sorts of thoughts in mind. That's a Mahloket. Secondly, it's specifically a Sumah, many of them, if Hashim point out, it's a blind person, where the assumption is they have another way of getting around. They can have someone help them. They can, they can feel around in another way. Um, so as a result, maybe there's a Ziluta. If it's a person, either the blind person who can't, or a crippled person who needs it in that respect, can't move otherwise, then there's no question, say the mefarshim. So again, but the most significant, at least from my perspective right now, is a question, without an answer right now, is this a reference to hotza'ah, which on Yom Tov is generally permitted 
but over here we're saying it's zilzul, or is it just in general? You shouldn't have that cane. Uh, that'll be something to... Zilzul means inappropriate activity, uh, weekday activity. That's right. Velo uh, Similarly, along the same lines, a ro'e, a shepherd, shouldn't have his knapsack, shouldn't bring his bag around with him. It's an inappropriate vision, sight, exhibition, Eli. Um, in other words, you're walking around with that knapsack, which you usually use to shepherd, to herd your animals, not on Yom Tov. It's not that it's per se prohibited, but zilzul, it's ziluta, it's inappropriate. Ziluta is lashon of Rashi over here, A B ziluta milashon zol, you're cheapening uh, the sanctity of the day. Ve'en yosi'in bekiseh. And lastly, you shouldn't go out on a chair. What's that? Rashivin Yosimba Kisesha to Anino Tam Beneadam Vem Yoshivim Bekatadara. So Rashid well it's more than a wheelchair, it's a chair which others hold up. You sit on a chair and they carry you in such a fashion. You know, Allah Allah the Saudi Arabia and Aladdin, right? Maybe Ten Commandments. Was, we don't really have that. The Gemara is gonna be very clear. Not only did they have it, many of the Hakamim were getting around like that uh, at points. One of the wives was getting around like that. Now, carried, what's the issue? Why would they be carried like that? It's respect. It was honor. It was honor. Why not on Shabbat or Yom Tov? Again, it sounds like ziluta. Is it only because you're carrying from one domain to the other? Or is it just in general? You shouldn't be, listen to the words, using a different mode of transportation on Yom Tov, on Shabbat, than walking. What's the question over here? That's why the bicycle question gets in. Okay, all right. Don't get ahead of yourself. Period. So that's what the Beraita quoted for us. Each of those three circumstances, which are Mishum Ziluta, Zilzul of Yom Tov, inappropriate and wrong to do. Qu- questions the Gemara will begin with just the question. Ini, is that really so? In in Aramaic means yes. Ini means yeah. Is that so? Didn't Rabbi Yaakov Bar Idi send from Eretz Israel to Bavil? He sent a message telling them about something halachic. He said there was an elderly man, maybe a scholar in our neighborhood. He would go out with his chair, which was carried on Yom Tov. And they asked Rabbi Yoshua Ben Levi, "What are we expecting based on our beraita?" Of course, he's going to say, "Asur, I'm sorry, can't do so." And he explained, He said, if many are dependent upon this man, this elderly, maybe scholarly individual, then it's permitted to carry him as such. Okay, then there's a continued words. What does it mean, Rabim Sirichimlo? Just quickly, Rashi, and we'll suffice with this for now. Rashi on the left hand side says, the definition for Rashi of many people need him or depend upon him is for a class on the holiday. Uh, so we'll have to continue with this, A, to understand exactly what we're talking about, and B, are there angles for permissibility? Was it all forbidden, just going out with another mode of transportation? Or is there some specific particular way about this? Let's see. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.